Thank you, Jenny. Wasn't that a beautiful song? Because of him, because of what he's done for us on the cross, we'll never walk alone. We'll never be orphans in this world. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us on the journey until we reach the other side, until we reach our home in heaven. And what a blessing that will be. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful song that Jenny sang. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us when we go through the difficulties of life and that you will be with us in the joyful times of life that you will be with us through every circumstance. And we pray that you will continue to work in our hearts and our lives to make us more like you, Lord. We thank you that it's a great privilege to be saved. It's a great privilege to be a child of God. We pray now that you will speak to our hearts through your word, and may it come alive to us in a real and practical way. And we pray that you will hide me behind the cross, Lord, that you will be glorified, you will be lifted up, and that we will leave here encouraged, challenged, and blessed. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when a person becomes a Christian, usually he or she undergoes a radical change in their life. And you see it. You can see it in the way they act, in the way they talk. Uh, someone gets saved and you say, wow, you knew them before and now you know them now and there's, there's a definite before and there's a definite after. And aren't we glad for the after? And we as Christians are the ones who will truly live happily ever after because we're going to be with the Lord. We're the only ones that can really say that. I mean, Disney can say it, and they can have beautiful movies about it, and they say they lived happily ever after, but that's only till the credits are over in the movie, right? Once the credits are all done and the music all stops and the people go back to their homes, it's not like that in real life, is it? We go through hard times, we go through struggles and these things. The Christian is the only one who can truly say, I'm going to live with the Lord happily ever after. After. And that is so true. But you know, as you grow in your life, in your spiritual life, and you find that there's, there's going to be areas of your life that the Lord's going to need to change. Now, a lot of times these changes happen right away. The big things happen. They're the major changes. But he wants to change us right down to the, to the smaller things also in life. There are many obvious sins that we forsake when we first get saved, but it's the little things that sometimes can trip us up. Like it says in the scriptures, the little foxes that spoil the vine. Gordon MacDonald in his book entitled Ordering Your Private World told of a story where he and his wife moved into an abandoned farm in New Hampshire. And this farm was filled with all kinds of clutter. There were boulders, there were rocks, there were all kinds of things that had to be cleared out, and it looked like it was going to be an impossible job to clear it out. And it's amazing, in this story, there are two of them are working together on it. It doesn't say they brought in a work crew and to do all this. The, the Gordon McDonald and his wife, Christian couple, they did this work themselves. And they started off by hauling off the big boulders. And they said that went pretty fast. You took out the big boulders and removed them out. 
But after the big boulders were gone, there were rocks. There were big rocks that had to be removed off of the property also. So they removed the rocks. And as soon as they removed the rocks, they found there were stones. They saw the stones there, which were a little smaller, but they had to be removed also. And then as they did that, they found little tiny pebbles that had to be removed also. Because before they could plant their crops on their property, it all had to be removed. And what an example it is in the Christian life that the Lord wants to remove the boulders from our lives. He wants to remove the rocks. He wants to remove the stones. And he wants to remove the pebbles. Anything that is not pleasing to him so that we can be holy for the Lord. You know, when you get saved and I get saved, he makes us holy. He says you're without spot and without blemish or anything wrinkle or such things. He sees us perfect in Jesus Christ because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And this is the way it is with many doctrines in Scripture. We are in, a, in our position, we are holy. And now what he wants us to do is be practically holy in our practice so that our position and our practice will match up. Now it may never happen until we get to heaven where it fully matches up. Because it says when we go to be with the Lord, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But until then, we're in a growth process. We're growing toward maturity, and he wants us to be more and more like Christ. He wants us to be holy. And so the title of our message today is Be Holy, for he is holy. This is one of the most challenging portions of the word that we're going to read here in just a moment from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 14 to 16. The title of our message, as we said, is Be Holy, for He is Holy. And notice what it says here. Peter, writing to the Christians that are dispersed abroad, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy, in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now this is one of the most challenging verses and passages to me in all of the Bible. God is holy in his person, and he is now telling us, be holy. Isn't that amazing? How could a wretched sinner like me, like you, ever be holy. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ and his shed blood that we can be holy, that we can be transformed, that we can be the people he wants us to be. And he looks at us today, and he looks beyond the way we are right now, and he sees our potential for him. He never gives up on us, and he wants us to be holy. And so the three things that we're going to look at today is, number one, he wants us to be holy in our character. That's the hardest one. Number two, he wants us to be holy in our conduct. And that's also very difficult all the time. And number three, he wants us to be holy in our conversation on the words that we use and how we speak to others and how we deal with others. Yes, the Christian life, is about our attitudes, about our motives, about our desires, 
about the way we live in public as well as in private. And that's a challenge too, isn't it? Sometimes we can look very good in public, but in private, not so good. When we go to our homes in private, how are we? Are we holy at that time too? Or just when we're out in public? He wants us to be holy in public as well as in private. Holy everywhere we go and to every person we meet. Well, let's look, first of all, holy in character. God wants to change us from the inside. And God always works from inside out. But you notice the world is the opposite. The world works on the outside in. And they don't ever get to the in. And when Jesus was alive here on earth, the people that gave him the hardest time were the Pharisees. They strove all the time to look good on the outside, but inside, it wasn't there at all. They, they were like tombs, whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. And they were not good on the inside, only looked good on the outside. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, and 19, this people, including the Pharisees and others, this people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You know, it's not enough to talk the talk, we have to walk the walk, and that's what holiness is all about. Personal holiness is about living for Jesus and letting him live his life through us. That's what it's all about. And the Pharisees would often criticize Jesus and often criticize the disciples. And one day when they went and the disciples ate the grain in the field without the ceremonial washing, they blamed them. They criticized them. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man in Matthew 15, 11, but what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles a man. Every sin begins in the heart. Every sin begins in the mind, and then it's manifested out in our lives. And so that's why Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, further in that passage, for out of the heart proceed all these things, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. It all starts right here on the inside. And Jesus said that is where you need to put your emphasis is on the inside. And you know, the longer we become Christians, you would think, right, we would get better, right? We would think, well, we're saved now and we're getting better, but you look inside and the more you're saved, the more you mature, you'll see just how vile and how wicked we still are inside because we still have that old nature. It's not the opposite at all. We see ourselves as worse and worse instead of better and better. The story is a young, of a young girl that had accepted Christ and she was going to join in fellowship with a local church. And so an old deacon, <laughs> old deacon inquired of the girl. He, says, he said to her this, you were a sinner before you received the the Lord Jesus, in, were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? And she says, yes, sir. She replied, 
Well, are you still a sinner? He continued. She answered, well, to tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then what real change have you experienced, he asked. She said, well, I don't quite know how to explain it, except I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now I'm a sinner running from sin. She was received into fellowship in the church, and she proved by her consistent life that she was truly converted. And isn't that a beautiful story, too? The Lord changes us, but he has us recognize that we have a lot of growing to do. Whether you're a new Christian or a Christian that's been around for a while, we're still growing. I like how Roland Hill used to say, he was like 100 years old at the time, he said he's still learning. He didn't have all the answers, and none of us do. We're not perfect. We never will be until we get to heaven in our lives. But he wants us to be growing in the likeness of Christ, as we said. So holy in our character. God wants to work on your character. He wants to work on my character. And they always say that's the hardest growth you can possibly have is the character. Because that's the way we really are on the inside. And God has to change us. He has to convict us. He has to show us what's wrong so he can show us then what's right. And you know, God never exposes us to shame us. He exposes us to teach us, to grow us, to change us, to be more like him. And that is the mercy of God for sure. So that's the first point this morning. Holy in our character. It's so important that God wants to work on you and I, and he's not finished with us yet. Aren't you glad he's not finished with you yet? Because we're not done yet. We're not done with our time on earth. But one day, when we get to heaven, the work will be done. And we will be presented perfect in Christ before him forever. Secondly, not only is it important to be holy in our character, but to be holy in our conduct as well. And we oftentimes say it, and I just heard it said this week, people are watching us. They're listening to us. They want to see, is this a real Christian or not? Does this person really believe in Christ, or are they just saying the words? And we want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord so that everything we do is befitting of a Christian. And everything we do is befitting of Christ. We want to honor Christ by our behavior. And we want to be a blessing to others. John Brown, the 19th century Scottish theologian, once said, Holiness does not consist in mystic speculations enthusiastic fervors or uncommanded austerities. It consists of thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. That's what it's all about. And I love it when a theologian who has all this knowledge, right, can boil it down to really what the practical things are in the Word. Because you can have all the knowledge of the word, but if you can't communicate it to where people can understand it, what good is it? If all you have is doctrine and you don't have the practice behind it, it's not going to work. And we have to learn holiness. It's not something that comes naturally to us. We have to learn it. And it takes years. That's why the hymn writer says, take time to be holy. 
take time. It takes time. It takes years for God to build into our lives so that we can be mature Christians and we can be pleasing to him. In the Old Testament, the priests were the ones who were supposed to teach the people how to be holy. Well, in order to teach somebody to be holy, you have to be holy yourself. Otherwise, it's going to be hypocrisy. And God wants us to be holy. Then, when we're holy, then we can help others to be as well. And there's a beautiful verse found in Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 23 that talks about the mission of the priest. It says, and they, that is the priest, shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and between the unclean and the clean. This verse is really needed today because a lot of times we live in gray areas. We live in gray areas, and so if it seems like it's okay to do it, we can do it, it's, it's okay. We have to ask ourselves, is it really okay? What does the scripture say? Is it holy or is it unholy? There's no in-between. Is it clean or is it unclean? The Bible's very clear on so many times on what the difference is between the holy and the unholy and between the clean and the unclean. In the Old Testament, it was a little easier because they could know there were certain animals that they were to call, they were clean animals, they could eat those and touch those and so forth. And then there were the unclean ones. And it mentions it in Leviticus and other portions there, which ones were clean and which ones were unclean. Same thing with insects, same thing with different other uh, creatures. There were certain clean ones and certain unclean ones. In the New Testament, it now doesn't deal with animals and those kind of things anymore. It deals with issues, issues in life that may be not specifically mentioned in Scripture, but we have principles. So we need to have the discernment and the wisdom to know the difference between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. And that's why if there's a doubt, don't do it. Don't do it. It reminds me of a story years ago where the, the man was looking to wear a shirt, and he said, he held up the shirt and he was looking at it. Is this really clean or not? Is this really clean? Or not? His wife said to it, Charlie, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. And that's true. There's so many things. If they're doubtful, that means they're dirty. And we as Christians should not soil ourselves with the things of this world that are doubtful, that are wrong, that are evil. And we see it throughout our lives, and you can tell, and the Holy Spirit will guide us. He will instruct us what to do and not to do. Yes, God is holy, and he's called us to personal holiness, and he's given us the Holy Spirit, and he's given us the Holy Bible to make us holy people, and so that's a pretty strong, encouraging thing, but it is important for us to be holy in private and holy in public. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul tells the Corinthians at that end of that section where he's talking about separation from the world, he says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. One of the greatest inventions ever invented by man is the computer the personal computer. 
I remember when it first came out, IBM, when I used to work for IBM, they had these big mainframe computers. It would take up a whole room when they first started. And then they got it smaller and smaller, and, and, and then they got it down to the personal computer, and you could work at that. And then the laptop came along, and then now the cell phone has come along, and, and now the Apple Watch and all these Android watches come along, and the technology keeps growing. But you know what? Technology can be a curse or a blessing. It can be a blessing to use it for the things of God and for purposes of business and so forth, but it can also be a terrible thing. People go online and see things on the computer that their eyes are only seeing. Nobody knows they do it. They go off into cyberspace and can commit all kinds of sin in cyberspace, and it almost feels like to them they're really not doing anything wrong at all, but they are because it defiles the mind, it defiles the eyes, it defiles our spirit. And so we have to be careful to be holy in the use of our computers, in our cell phones, and our tablets, and all the things that we use. One day a clergyman asked this, the poor children that were before him, and he says, what is holiness? And then a little, poor little boy in tattered rags, replied, he jumped up and he said, please, your reverence, it is to be clean on the inside. And what an answer to the reverence. You know, that here this man, he's probably dressed up in his robes and he's, he's, a, he's a priest or whatever he is and he's thinking he's better than everybody else and I'm going to help these poor, unfortunate children. And this little child, I love the little children because they come up with the most simple, beautiful things like the other ones I had some illustrations of the little girl and so forth. Well, here this little boy says, it's being clean on the inside. And that's what holiness is. It's being clean on the inside. That our character and our conduct and our conversation would be all pleasing to the Lord. History records a situation in the days of Tiberius that it was thought to be a crime to carry a ring with the stamp of the emperor into any mean or sordid place where it might be polluted. Imagine that. How much more that we as Christians can learn that we may not take the name of Christ into any mean or sordid place. If we identify ourselves with Christ and we say that he is our Lord and our Savior, it should make a difference in our lives. It really should. We can't make excuses. We can't say I'm weak. We can't say I didn't know. We have to be so guarded and so careful to live holy lives for the Lord. And so we've seen so far, be holy in your character. And that's, that's difficult, but the Lord can transform our character. He's the only one that can do it. Secondly, be holy in your conduct, in your private life as well as your personal life. And third, be holy in your conversation. This is another one, because so many times you hear Christians today, and you really can't recognize that, that those words are something that a Christian should use. And it's sad, because when two people are saying they're Christians, and one uses profanity, and uses off-color stories and jokes and things, and the other one is using the pure word of God, it sends a mixed message, as we've said before. It sends a mixed message to the world that you can be a Christian and talk that way. You can be a Christian and act that way. Even the world knows it's wrong. 
And I think one of the biggest uh, slaps in the face, the biggest convictions that a person can have is if somebody says to you, I didn't know Christians did that. I didn't know Christians talked like that. I didn't know Christians told jokes like that. It would hit you so hard, like a slap right in the face, because that's not the way the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to live the way he lived, walk as he walked. That's the challenge. But he says, be holy, for I am holy. He wouldn't have said that. It wouldn't be recorded in the word in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament if it wasn't possible for us to do it with his help. It is possible to do it, and we should do it. In Ephesians 4.29, we have the very challenging verse where Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the, to the hearers. No corrupt word. And that's a pretty strong word. A corrupt word coming out of our mouth, it should not be. That's why James said, you can't have bitter water and sweet water coming out of the same well. It doesn't work. You can't do it. And you can't have righteousness and lawlessness together. It doesn't, doesn't work for us to be holy. We can't allow those things to be that way. And there's another beautiful verse in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 37 where the Lord Jesus said the, these things. He says, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Wouldn't that be amazing if, that if we could put that up and everybody followed that in the United States and they followed it in Congress and the executive branch and the judicial branch and the congressional people and all that, and, and every teacher and every student and every business person and every person living would live by that. By your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. If everybody knew that verse and practiced it, the words that people would say to each other would be kind, they would be gentle, they would be loving, and they wouldn't be like they are today with so much acrimony and so much uh, agitation and so much anger and hatred. It's, it's like people have dug in and they are against each other instead of being for each other. They're hating each other instead of loving each other. May the Lord help us. And so today, God has made it possible for us to be holy. Spiritually, we are holy. And now in our personal life, he wants us to practice it. Practice it. And when we do that, we will be holy in our character, holy in our conduct, and holy in our conversation. Now, this is convicting because it shows you where you are and where God wants you to be. And sometimes there's a divide between where we are and where, where God wants us to be. But that's okay. We're growing. And that's okay because God maybe is going to show us something that needs to be changed. And we can do one of two things when God shows us things that need to change. We can either take heed to it and change, which is the best thing, or we can neglect it. We can put it off. We can say, well, I'm not that bad. There's a lot of people that have worse problems than I do. There's a lot of people that say worse things than that. There's a lot of people that do worse things than that, and we start comparing ourselves to other people, and so we start feeling better. That's not good, because if God exposes it, he wants us to change it, not to delay, 
not to put it off, not to say, well, it doesn't apply to me. There's always the people that say, boy, that was a great sermon for her. That was a great sermon for him. But how about that was a great sermon for me? How about I got convicted? How about God wants to change me? And that's every message we hear, whether it's on the radio, the TV, at church, or where we're having family devotions, whatever it be, it should be, what's for me? What does God want to show me? What do I need to change in? What attitude does he want me to change? What motive does he want me to change? What action does he want me to change? There's boulders to get rid of. There's rocks to get rid of. There's stones to get rid of. And there's even these little pebbles. And they all get in the way of God planting his word and his seed in our hearts for that good soil to produce that fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. To produce that way has to have a clear heart. We have to clear out all the junk, all the vileness, all the evil things, and we have to call it what it is, sin, and not tolerate it in ourselves. So many times we point the finger at other people and they say, oh, she did that, he did that, this and that. Instead, we need to point it back at ourselves and say, I did it. That's my fault. Please forgive me. I'm the one that was out of line. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And that's humbling. But that, if we want to be holy in our private life and in our personal life, it's going to hurt because God has to show us the hurt before he can give us the help to change it. And may God encourage our lives. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us today to be holy in our character, Lord. To be holy. And you would have to work on us, Lord, to do it because we can't do it ourselves. Our character is developed over years of time with bad habits and bad ways, and we need to be changed, and it's going to take time. And Lord, we pray that you'll change us in our conduct as well, in our private life when we're there and nobody else is there and we're on the computer or we're home by ourselves or it's all private and nobody sees us, or when we're in public, Lord, when people do see us and hear us. Help us to represent you well and to be holy Christians, Lord. We can't do it on our own. There's no way we can say, well, I'm going to go and be more holy. No, we have to let you change us every day. And we pray that we'll be holy in our conversation, that our words will be acceptable and pleasing to you. As the psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We just pray you'll dismiss us with your blessing. Bless those on vacation, Lord. Give them a wonderful vacation and rest, especially the Ackles and the Murrays and all those who are away and going away and be with all those here as well. And Lord, we give you all the glory and all the thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.